Welcome to My Life, Tanya Applied with Rabbi Simon Jacobson, a journey into the deepest teachings of Torah and their application to our personal, emotional, and psychological lives. A good tavach, a good week. We continue our journey in the life-changing Sefer HaTanya. This program is made possible by Rina Lights LLC, and it is in honor and memory of Rav Yosef Halevi Weinberg, Olav HaShalom, and Rav Meisha Pinchas HaKoyen Katz, Olav HaShalom, and Rav Yael HaKoyen Khan, Olav HaShalom. It's also in the merit and schus of Rav Zev Yecheskel and Risha Katz. Le'edich yomim v'shanim tevis for many healthy years. We finished chapter two in Tanya. So now after we've covered the two forces, the two voices, the two personalities that are there within each Jew, the nefesh, Hadashena that he spoke about at the end of chapter one, called the animal soul, a soul that is driven towards survival and towards filling its needs as we shall discuss later in Tanya. But as the Alter Rebbe put it, it's rooted in Klippas Nega. That means in the divine that's encased in a husk, in a shell. And from there come all the negative personality traits. What he saw, the Dalajus Seydis, Haroim, whether it's arrogance or jealousy or pride or laziness, depression, as he listed there, and even the positive attributes that the Gemara says that every Jew has. The Alter Rebbe spells out two of the three, Rachmanus and Gemli Chasodin, compassion and kindness. That too originates in the animal soul, because the animal soul is not evil. The animal soul, however, is focused on its needs and survival. So that is one soul and one force, one personality within us. Then in Patek Bey's, the second chapter in Tanya, he explained there's a second personality, a second soul. Nefesh Hashem is Israel, And his personality is divine. Chelik alekami mal mamash. Without husks, without any shells, undiluted, a pure expression of the divine, which includes, of course, the divine will and the divine purpose of existence. So here you have two forces. As we shall learn, they are in battle with each other. Who will dominate? But it's clearly two different personalities that come together inside each one of us. After establishing that we have these two, we now need to understand Their composition. What is the anatomy? What is the structure of the divine soul? And what is the structure of the animal soul? So in chapter 3, begins discussing the structure of the soul. Chapters 3, 4, and 5, will talk about this structure in context of telling us that these are the tools, the instruments that we have to live up to our divine purpose. Then, in chapter 6, 7, and 8, 
and equal three chapters, the Alter Rebbe is going to then talk about the structure of the, the animal soul. And its driving force is to conceal the divine, is to serve itself, self-interest. And then in chapter 9, the Alter Rebbe will return and talk about how each of them have different personality and how they're in battle with each other and then, after chapter 9, chapter 10 will be about the tzaddik that dominates the animal soul, the divine soul dominates and even eliminates the animal soul. In chapter 11, the Russia, where the animal soul is dominant. And in chapter 12 and on, the Benini, which is the ultimate purpose of Sefer Shalbenim of Tanya, who is able to control and keep the animal soul at bay and tame it. But let's not jump ahead. That's the structure where we're headed. So now in chapter 3 we're going to learn we're going to learn about the structure and anatomy of the divine soul. Now, a few key things to make, to make clear. In Patek Bays, in chapter 2, we learned at length that the neshama, all souls, no matter which soul, is rooted in and connected to its divine source, which in turn manifests, as we discussed at length, in in the mind, in the supernal mind and thought of God. And we explain why, because the neshama has to also come into existence. It can't just remain on a purely godly level, it's coming into this world ultimately, but it's carrying that divine essential personality. And Chachma is the perfect channel because Chachma is a bridge, an interface between pure divinity but the structure of existence. As we discussed then, Chachma is the first of the spheres, and as such, it's a Keli, the Bittl of Chachma later in chapter 35 in Tanya, in the Haggah, in the Gloss, the Alter Rebbe is going to explain the name of his teacher, the Magid of Mizrich, that a Chachme, what, what the dominant feature of Chachme is, God alone and nothing else. So though on one hand it's Chachme, it's the spark of an idea, but it recognizes and is cognizant of a higher presence of the divine. So it's very fitting that the mind carries the very pure nature, the divine nature of the soul, and huva chachmose echod, as we learned, hu hamadav hu as Al-Tarebbe cited, and according to the Ramak and the Arizal, in Atzillus, there's a unification between the divine core and the divine attributes, and thus the Neshama maintains that divinity, and its integrity, as it travels downward. It continues paying, saying, that as the neshamas branch off, meaning into different levels, they still are like a child in all its components, from head to toe, that comes from the very core of the seed of the father, from the seed in the mind of the father. And the same thing in the moral, that all the details and all the aspects of every neshama, no matter what level it's at, is all rooted in moyachav, in this case moyachah and chachmosi is baruch, which is one with 
And then even going further, no matter what soul you're talking about, even the lowest souls, even the Pesha Yisrael, all have that connection. And then finally, at the end of the chapter, talked about parents and their role. And that still does not affect the very nature of the divine, even though it affects the instruments, the levush, nefesh ha-sichlis, nefesh as we discussed last week. Why is this introduction critical? Because now we know a neshama doesn't just have chachma. Chachma is one faculty. It's the first of ten faculties. What about these faculties that the soul has, which is going to be its composition, its very structure? That's what we're going to address. And we'll see that these faculties are also divine, even as they turn into faculties, not just the very personality, not just the very elements of every soul, the very pure nature of every soul, no matter what level of a soul, but also its faculties are divine and fundamentally a chelik mamsh. So in the beginning of chapter 3, the Alter Rebbe is going to address this structure, these koiches hanefesh, the ten faculties, as they're rooted in the ten spheres. And the second part is going to actually spell out what they are. Not all ten is going to focus on Chachma bin Adas and Chesed Gvura Teferis, which include all the other emotions. So we're going to come away in chapter 3 with not just understanding the divine soul and its divinity and its pers- divine personality, but also how it manifests in faculties. Because at the end of the day, you can have a soul that could be the purest soul within you. We live in a world where we have to actualize that. And that actualization comes through faculties. So you see the fascinating organization, order. We're moving from the soul now to its faculties. So let's learn inside. Inside, what does the Alter Rebbe say? The beginning of Peter Gimel, chapter 3. Behine, and now, Kol p'chinu madregi m'sholosh elu, nefesh roch each of these three facets and levels, he says two words, we'll speak about that in a moment. Of the three, the aforementioned three, what were they mentioned? Remember, nefesh, ruach, neshama? He said the neshama itself is kolul, encompasses, and includes three dimensions. Nefesh, which is like the biological, what we call the behavioral. Ruach, the emotional and Neshama, the cognitive, the intellectual. She says, all, each one of these three, kol b'chin madregi m'sholashelu, nefesh, ruch, neshama. Kalula, they in turn contain and encompass within them me'eser b'chinas k'neged eser sviris el yenis sh'neshtal shlomahem. They contain ten powers, Pchinis really means, as we'll discuss, ten levels or ten dimensions. But they refer to the ten koiches. And why does he say the word ten koiches? We'll discuss that. Which, in turn, mirror the ten heavenly spheres. Esos spheres al yenis, shenishtal From which these Ten faculties, or ten powers, or ten levels, originate. 
But he doesn't just say the word originates, he says nishtalshlo. So every word here is precise. So the general point he's making now, he's saying now that this nefesh ruach neshama, we didn't discuss what, those, what the nefesh ruach neshama is comprised of. What are its parts? We know there's the dimension. The dimensions of nefesh ruach neshama. So now he's saying each one of them includes and contains eser b'chines, which correspond to the ten spheres. So this is the first time Antanya is introducing the concept of the ten spheres. We spoke about it already, the ten spheres of Atsilis, but the language of Eser Spheres is used now for the first time. So in order to understand this piece, we have to talk about two things. First, we'll talk about the ten spheres, Spheres Elyenis, the divine spheres, and then we'll talk of their relationship with the ten faculties, or what he calls the Eser Bchines. And then I'll go into the details of why he uses the word Bchina, Madrege, Bchines, Sviris Elyenis. Every word in Tanya is precise and relevant to our general discussion. So let's go back to the central theme that we've been talking about. We want, we're addressing now the divine soul whose personality is divine. Now we're going into the very faculties of that soul. So one thing is clear. A soul on its own is shapeless and not defined, just like the divine energy on its own is undefined. Definition and structures come in the next level. When God wanted to create a structured universe, how do you create a structured universe in a way that makes sense to us? Of course, God can do anything, but he didn't want it to just do anything. He wanted to do it in a way that we can understand his process. And then retrace it and connect to the process. So look, look at Chumash. It doesn't just say God created heaven and earth. It says, And then he continues the process of creation. And day one, God said, Day two, There shall be a firmament. A heaven. And so six days, and then the seventh day is Shabbos. Right there you have a structure, seven days, and a creation in each day, and God utters the ten, even though he could have created all with one statement, but he did not, because he wanted a structure. And a structure requires distinctions. I, Hashem Echad, Shema Yisrael Hashem Elokeinu Hashem Echad, but that echad, the godliness, which is beyond any type of structure, chose to manifest the echad through multifaceted ways. That's why in echad, we're mechaven. What's the intention when we say echad? We say aleph, the achdus of alufish aleilam, God, master of the universe. Ches is the seven heavens and earth. And the dollar are the four directions, north, south, east, west. Because the point is to recognize the unity of the divine within the multitude, within the diversity. So when we look from a perspective of a superficial or a surface level, it can seem like there's many details. And there are many details. But they're all connected. They're all driven by one echad. How do we explain this? So we discussed this when we talked about the Hagan, chapter 2. So God created the concept of sphiris. That the divine, the words of the Avedis Akedish, 
where he says, by Ibn Gabai, Kishem, the Ebishter, just like he has the power to create Bligvul, the infinite, he has the power to create Gvul. And the first Gvul are the spheres. So the God that is beyond infinite and beyond finite, you can say beyond the number one and the beyond many, created both two tracks, all coming from one Echad. The Esos Sphiris is the way Chesidus, based on Kabbalah, explains that we should be able to understand it. That's why they're called Sphiris Elyanus. Because they're not man-made. They're godly Sphiris. They're divine Sphiris. So Chochmah is the first of the ten. Chochmah Sheshal Yisbarach. Chochmah Yisbarach. It's divine wisdom. But then we say, Chakim because really God can be defined by Chachma. That's why we have to understand both sides of it. On one hand, you can't say he does not have Chachma. On the other hand, he's not defined by it. So we say, Chachim Then comes Bina, Maven Same idea. And then Das. And we're going to talk about all the spheres. What they are, Cher, Chochmah, Bina, Das is the three cognitive, which we'll soon discuss. Then come the seven emotions, Chesed, Gvurah, Teferes, Netzach, Choyed, Yesoyed, Malchus. So these are now divine instruments, if you wish, divine tools, divine channels, divine attributes that express the divine in a way that we can talk about structure. But they're still completely divine. You don't call them created, you call them emanations. God imparted Atzilus, from the word Netzal, imparted, like Hafrosha, emanates. Is God, God forbid, defined by the spheres? No. Do the spheres define God? Also not. God is not the sum of the parts. Is that he has all capacities, he has all possible capacities. He chose ten. Think of an artist that can create infinite types of art, but he chose one piece of art that's going to consist of 10 building blocks. In the, the Kabbalah themselves, as we've also discussed, have different opinions about what but the nature of these spheres. Are they just like instruments and tools? Or are they actually really divine channels? So this is disagreements on this, and Chassidus comes and reconciles that, it all, that all the opinions are correct. It all depends on which level you're talking about. On one hand, the spheres are nothing but divine expressions. On the other hand, they do have an element of structure. What that structure is, is not the place to go into right now. But suffice it to say, this is a big discussion in Kabbalah, among Kabbalists and Exodus, of understanding these spheres. But these are the spheres. Do we pray to the spheres? God forbid. We pray to God. A love, v'leilamidesov. A love to God. love To you, to God himself, to him. Not to his attributes. But his attributes are an extension, an expression of him. He is one with his expression because you can't, God forbid, separate between God and his expression. And the same thing with all the spheres. He's one with these spheres. That's why in Atzillus we say, you are one with your energies, the energy of the attributes, the soul of the attributes, so to speak, and one with the containers, the expression of the attributes, 
the structure of the attributes. That's how the Alter Rebbe touches it later in Ageras Akejah Simechov, Epistle, the section 20. The Alter Arizal touches Yivu Chayu Yichad Yivu Garmu Yichad Chayu is on the Moichin, Garmu is on the Midas. But regardless, it's all about a unification that he is one with his attributes, like we learned in the last chapter, Hu V'chachmasi Echad. Though we don't understand it, because as he said, but that we know. Now you'll say, I just explained according to logic and structure, that structure is understood. So how do we say we don't understand? Whatever we can understand, the Hebrew wants us to understand. That which remains somewhat elusive, like how is God one with these attributes? That, that is plenty of explanation on that, but still some, some of it will remain because we can't really fully experience what the divine is like. So just like he's one with Chachmas, he's also one with other spheres. So then you could ask the question, so why are you saying here that the soul, the faculties are rooted in the ten spheres? When you said that the Sham is rooted in Chachmas, which is one. Because Chachmas is the core, everything begins from Chachmas. It's the seed. In the example, the seed of the father, the Tipas Mayachav, that originates from the mind of the father, Chachmah, and it includes all the structure, all the spheres, all the faculties that will emerge from it. So when you talk about the very soul, the soul is rooted in the first of the spheres, Chochmah. With that rooted, it's actually rooted higher. We said it's Nimshech, if you recall. It travels through Chochmah, say, Machshafti is Bara, but it's rooted all the way in Chelek, Chelekam, Mal Mamish. Then through Chochmah, it manifests, now it has an identity, but it's still Chochmah. And then the faculties that we're talking about, will evolve from there. And that's the second part of the statement. So after saying that we know now the Esosphirus Elyanus, so now he's saying the Nefesh Ruach Neshama, that level is, includes and contains ten faculties which mirror and originate From these ten spheres. So this is the next step. Not only did Abish to create and emanate in a structure of ten spheres, which are the ten main building blocks. Think of it as the spiritual DNA of all of existence. But furthermore, he created a human being, B'Tselem Elakim, in the divine image. Like we said, the Nisham is rooted, rooted in the very core of the divine. And also its faculties mirror and reflect and originate from the ten spheres. Because you could have had a situation where you know what? The Nisham is a mamamash, but now it's given tools. Just like you come with a shovel or with a screwdriver or with a pick or with a hammer. The hammer is not part of the divine elements. These are tools how you actualize and build something in this world. But we're saying not that. The Tzalem Alekim, the soul, that is a chelikel called mamamish, and mamish, which also means that it comes in a mamoshis, in a tangible way, also expresses itself in the faculties. That the faculties are not just reflecting. Like when you say, for example, the creation of the world, everything comes from the ten spheres. Fire originates from gvura. Chesed from mayim, water, Fire from water from chesed. 
But you don't say nishtalshlu. You don't say, you don't say that it is actually those spheres as they've nishtalshlu and evolved here. What you say is it originates from there, but it's a nivra. It's a creation. When it comes to the neshama, he's saying an expression that's kenegedes el yenish It both mirrors and reflects and evolves. What's a ishtalshlus? Ishtalshlus is like a shalshelus, a chain. When you look at a chain, each rung is connected to the previous rung. So it's not just corresponding, like an archetype. You could say, chesed is the archetype from which originates water. Gvura is the archetype from which originates fire. We say more than archetype. We say it's like links in a chain with one link connecting to a higher link, to a higher link. Obviously, it manifests in lower levels. And ultimately, the faculties that we have, that you and I have, the 10 faculties, which we'll soon discuss in chapter 3, actually are connected link by link all the way to the 10 spheres in Atsilus. And when you look at this, you learn the spheres go all the way up to the Esosphere's Agnusis, according to the interpretation of Chassidus, before the Tzimtzum, how God is envisioning these 10 attributes. But Natsilis, as we learned in, the cha- in chapter 2, is where it manifests in a structural way. It's divine. Those divine spheres, are the actual root. And they manifest, not like a creation, what I said is like an archetype than a manifestation, but an actual manifestation of the very divine nature of the Esosphere's Elyenus. In the language of Tanya, Okay. So let's now focus a bit more on the language that's used here. Why does the Alter Rebbe use the language Keneged, I'm sorry, Eser Pchines, Keneged Why does he say Eser Keiches? So I have not seen a particular interpretation of it, but most likely, which seems apparent when you look at it, is because he doesn't want to talk about the faculty as a defined faculty right now. He's talking about 10 dimensions. The word pchin is dimension. Indeed, there's actually a maimer from the Alter Rebbe, the maimorim Ktsarim, the short maimorim of the Alter Rebbe, that asks, why do we use the word pchina in Kabbalah? Why don't you just say keser, chokhma, bina? Why pchinas keser, pchinas chokhma, pchinas bina? It's also discussed in Ayin Bayes in uh, volume 2, chapter 336. And he explains, because Pechina is a term used when you're not talking about physical structure. When you're talking about something that has a physical distinction, let's say five fingers on your hand. So that's a madrega. There's the thumb, there's the index finger. We'll talk about it. You'll see the word madrega in the beginning. I'll get back to it shortly. That's a madrega. Pechina is because in spiritual levels, you can't really talk about black and white distinctions. Things are encompassed within each other. So Pechina is used, like sometimes in Yiddish they say a probe, a probe, a test, a measure. When you say that, let's say, a piece of gold, how pure is it? This is the example that Alter Rabbi uses, a piece of gold. How pure is it? So you say it has 10 parts gold and 10 parts sigim that are like, uh, like some waste. Dross. So it's a way of measuring something. Now you don't see it. When you look at it, you just see a piece of gold. Same thing here in the spheres. 
When you talk about the spheres, you see Chachma Bina, but they're all encompassed with one another. So is when you're using it in a more subtler form, you say the Bechina, the measure of it, the dimension of it. Madregu would be used when you're really defining it more as a particular level. So what he's using here, Esab because he's saying before they become faculties, they're really ten measures, they're ten dimensions that are evolving from and reflect the ten spheres, and then in turn, ultimately become our faculties. Due to time limits, we're going to stop here. And we're going to continue discussing why he says in the beginning of the chapter, He says both lessons, both expressions. And then we'll continue learning inside. All these classes, Shiurim, can be found at tanyaapplied.com. And you could also submit any question you like. Have a good tavach and everyone be well. This has been My Life Tanya Applied with Rabbi Simon Jacobson. Please join us again next week. Visit chasidasapplied.com for archived classes and more resources.